Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Unanchored Boston. It's brought to you by Our Best Foods, featuring our best meatballs, available at your favorite local grocer, and Cold Springs RV, your destination for all things camping and where? We're in New Hampshire, of course, and the great George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. Speaking of greats, we've got a great guest today, the one and only Christopher Gasper of the Boston Globe. Bobby Lobel, take it away. Well, a man that you made famous on Channel 5 and who's <laughs> knocking him out of the park on Channel 4. You know, Gasper, ever since you said in your initial comments about going on Channel 5, how much you watched Lynch and how much you admired him over the years and how great it was to work with him, really, did it all live up to the hype? You know, it did. I got to tell you, Loby, the North Shore guys, we have to stick together. Monster, and, you know, he looked out for me. So when you get those North Shore guys on television, it's, it's always pure magic. What can I say? <laughs> I, I understand. It's true. It's true. And uh, I thought you did a great job. But you know what? I thought we, we and I both did a great job. So I thought we should all be still on television. <laughs> oh, no. You guys are way better than me. I'll tell you what. No, no, no. Don't, be, don't, be, don't go. Oh, I had a tremendous amount of respect for you guys. I don't want to make you guys feel old, but I did grow up watching both of you. <laughs> well, of course so I already had a tremendous amount of respect for you. But I'll tell you, anybody that thinks what you guys did and how easy you made it look. I always say this. Anybody that makes something look easy, whether it's Michael Jordan, LeBron James, or you guys, they're just really, really good at it. It's not that easy. And I definitely learned that the hard way at Channel 5. Anchoring sports is an art, and you guys are two of the best artists in the history of Boston. <laughs> not everybody can do it. I was out there finger painting. So, <laughs> You know what? We were out there giving the fingers to the people that were... <laughs> 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 Boy, just imagine if we had this format back in those days. Oh, we would have noxious. Oh, I know. It'd have been lasted about ten hours, and that way before they <laughs> you took your Carlson overnight here. Let's go. <laughs> oh my is goodness, that easy, Chris. How about Belichick, is that was he that good? Did he made it look easy over these years? Yeah, I'll tell you, boy, you know, it sort of gives you a greater appreciation, right, for Tom Brady. I think Bill Belichick is very good at what he does, but I, I've always said this from the beginning, right? And, and Bill is outstanding. He really is. But there is a difference between the impact that a great coach can have and a great player can have. And that's true in any sport, not just football. But I think in football, maybe more than the other sports, the coaching and strategy element of things is romanticized and, and mystified to some degree, right? It's everybody who sits at Fenway Park feels like they know which guy should come out of the bullpen. But when you're sitting at Gillette, you know, a lot of people are saying, geez, you know, I, I didn't know they just ran cover seven. What's cover seven? So there's an element there where it sort of looks like it's magical and mystical. And I think that fed into the legend a little bit. But, you know, when you take away the quarterback, you also take away the margin for error. So I still think Bill's a great, great coach. It's just that the impact of that great coaching isn't the same in the NFL when you don't have the players. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. Is, is, is the debate ended, was it Belichick or Brady, or is that still ongoing? I think it's still ongoing for a lot of people, guys. I mean, in my mind, it's ended. And, and to me, it was never about Bill Belichick, Tom Brady. It was, for me, philosophically, take away the names. It could be Joe Jones and Jack Smith. I just think it's very difficult for a coach to have the same type of impact on winning season in and season out, game in and game out, as an all-time great player at the single most significant position in North American team sports. I, I, philosophically, I just feel like you can't really compare that at the end of the day. Now, that being said, it was the stars aligning. If you don't have both of those guys, you're not getting six, right? And we've seen that. Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback. He only has one. So if you don't have a great coach and a great quarterback, those guys don't have uh, the six that they have together without each other. But then you were able to see, you know, Tom Brady moves on and goes and plays for Bruce Arians, who's a good coach. No, but he's certainly not in Bill's league. And he ends up winning a seventh Super Bowl. So I think it's easier to impact winning when you are on the field and you're an all-time great at quarterback than coach. So I think that part of the debate, the, the philosophical coach versus quarterback part to me should be over. But I think Brady versus Belichick, just for a lot of fans, that's, that's never going to be over. Don't you think, both of you guys, that the job description that Brady had to follow as a pro, the job description was much more simpler than the job description that Belichick had to follow as a, as a coach. So, you know, the job was so, it's not that it was easier to play quarterback, 
but do you understand what I'm saying? The, the, the mental psychological part of playing the position as far as coaching, the coaching thing was far more complicated, far more things he had to be in charge of because he wanted to be, not because he had to be, because he refused because of his own stubbornness or whatever it was to dictate that kind of, of uh, responsibility. Lynchy, I, I think, you know, you know, Bill better than you know any of us here. You can probably respond to that one in terms of why he took on as much responsibility as he did. And I do think that's what makes him unique, guys, is his ability to really coach any position on the field and be able to do that. You look at most of these coaches, you know, Sean Payton, great offensive coach, right? You have other coaches, Pete Carroll, great defensive coach, but they really can't impact all sides of the ball like Bill. No, I think, I think you're right. He really um, immersed himself in every, every as aspect of the game. Remember, he started out as a, a special teams coach with the uh, Lions or Broncos, I think. Um, and, you know, I used to talk to him all the time, and I figured he'd have – because, you know, in college, he, he could hurt. We put most of the cross. But uh, I used to have conversations with him, and I was amazed at how much he knew about the offense. You know, like we were a year apart at Exeter and Andover, and you know, like I played with a lot of guys, his uh, Andover teammates, and vice versa. And you know, I always start, you know, throwing out some some lingo and some language, and and he would throw it right back at me. I'm sorry, Loby. What'd you say? Prep school? Did you go to? <laughs> oh, I didn't go to prep school. I, I went to Lynn. prep school either, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm trash on the side of the road. <laughs> but you know, no. we're not even in we're not even in a conversation when it comes to Andover and Exeter. <laughs> not even in the conversation. Two, two of the most unlikely guys that you'd ever find on both those campuses, by the way. You know, both sons of coaches and you know, not you know, Ben Whiffenpoof or whatever the name is. And you know, uh Belichick wound up at Andover, I wound up at Exeter, and um but I, you know, back to the to Chris's point, his knowledge of the offense, I was just, I was just so impressed with, um, you know, like, because uh, look, look at just look at last year when, you know, Matt Patricia had to come and, and be the offensive coordinator. He just had no business being there because he really he never had been in that position or, or coached that side of the ball. And um, I think it was, it was a wasted year and a year they, they get a. They have a lot of catching up to do this year. A lot of catching up. Can I just run this by you guys? Yeah. Schedule. They now have to face Rogers twice. They now have to face Tua twice. They now have to face Allen twice. And that's even before they get out of the East Coast. Okay. And now you got, you're going to be playing LA. You know, I'm sorry. You're playing Las Vegas. So Garoppolo's there. You're going to play Cincinnati, so you got to face Burrow. You're going to be playing uh, Kansas City, so you got to be facing Mahomes. You're going to be facing uh, Arizona, so assuming that Murray's back on track. I mean, you got a lot of stuff that you that's in your way between getting to be uh, a 500 football team. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I think that they are, you know, at a talent deficit when it comes to not only their division but the conference overall and you know this Aaron Rodgers trade is a big part of that I mean you look at a guy in Miami and Tua Tungavailoa they still haven't beaten Tua whatever you think of Tua as a quarterback whether you think he's elite or not elite whether you think that he should have made the Pro Bowl last year as he did through the fan vote or not he's a guy that's been very very successful when he's played against the Patriots so they haven't beaten him we know Josh Allen also has their number Aaron Rodgers is an all-time great quarterback Bill Belichick has waxed poetic on his capabilities and what he can do. So when you look at it on paper, you know, they, they really, and they've had a nice off season, don't get me wrong, but they also haven't really closed the gap or moved the needle in their own division. And then you get outside the division, as you mentioned, and you're talking about guys like Mahomes and Joe Burrow, who sort of feel like, look, they're probably not going to win seven Super Bowls like Tom Brady, but like Tom Brady, they're going to be in the discussion every year and put their teams and the discussion every year to be in that final four. So certainly it's an uphill battle, I think, for the Patriots at this point. So, Chris, let me ask you this. After the trade of Rodgers, are the Patriots the fourth best team in the AFC East right now? From a talent standpoint, no question. 
Yes, no question. This sort of ties into what we've talked about. You're, you know, you're looking for Bill to sprinkle some of that Patriot pixie dust on the roster and be able to get more out of it than what the talent would say on paper. But again, for me, talent equates to margin for error. And their margin for error is very slim, particularly relative to the other teams in the division. Buffalo is a team that's built to win now and win a Super Bowl with an elite quarterback. Miami, if Tua can stay healthy, I mean, when he was healthy, uh, that's a team that was very, very formidable. They have a ton of weapons. They went out and got Jalen Ramsey this offseason to add to the defense to the other side of the ball. And then they traded for Bradley Chubb during the season. So they've addressed two of their biggest needs defensively. And if you look at their cornerback tandem with Ramsey and Xavier Howard, you can argue it's the best in the league. The Jets had the best defense in the division last year and one of the best defenses in all of the NFL. Their issue was offensively, and it started with Zach Wilson being an epic quarterback. Well, now they have a Hall of Fame quarterback, and there's a lot of talent on that offense other than quarterback. So then you look at the Patriots and you say their defense is really good, but then last year when they faced any sort of top 10 caliber quarterback, from Lamar Jackson to Joe Burrow to even Kirk Cousins, they lost the game. And offensively, they lost Jacoby Myers. They bring in Juju Smith-Schuster and Mike Gesicki, but it sort of feels like a lateral move. So, I mean, unless they're able to crush it in the draft here, from a talent standpoint, I don't see any significant improvement from what was an 8-9 and nine team last year. And the teams around you have gotten better. We got a read from Mike Reese and from Karen Garigian, and it's really important to get your opinion about this as well, I think. And that is the, the Belichick chase of Shula and Kraft's involvement in it. All of a sudden, it becomes Kraft's chase for Shula and not so much Belichick's. Uh, it just kind of seems that way. And it's more important to Kraft now than it is to anybody else. Yeah, it's interesting to sort of look at it from that perspective. I think part of it for Kraft is, remember, we have to go back to what you guys asked about Brady versus Belichick, right? That was a choice that ultimately ownership had to make, even if it was a choice they made tacitly, right? It was not an overt choice. But at a certain point, they had to sort of say, look, Tom, you want to get your next contract here. It goes through Bill. It's up to Bill. And they were doing the year-to-year thing at the end with Tom. And there was talk in the organization about we're in uncharted territory and all that stuff. So ultimately, they sort of let Bill make the decision on Tom, which was effectively choosing Bill over Tom. So do you want to be the owner that let Tom Brady walk away and win another Super Bowl? And then three years later, can the greatest coach of all time. So effectively, you didn't end up with either one of them, you know, really finishing on a high note. Probably not. So now you're really invested in Bill's success in this record. I think if you're Robert Kraft for that reason, because it validates your choice. And if he doesn't get the record and the team continues to stumble and you have to move on, then it suddenly looks like, well, what, what were you doing? You know, what choice did you make? You should have stuck with the quarterback. So what if what if Robert steps down in an active role while we're still chasing this um, Schuler record and Jonathan now becomes the decision maker? Does he hang with, Be- with Belichick or does he go in another direction? It's a great question. I, I would say he would be, he would be maybe less sentimental than Robert when it came to the record. I think, I think he would still stick with Bill, but, but I think where you're putting it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I think he'd be less sentimental about it. You know, I think it would be sort of a little bit more performance based. I mean, I want to ask you guys, what do you think? I mean, do you feel like, you know, Robert Kraft has had some pretty strong statements about the team and what his expectations for the team are the last two years. Do yeah. you feel like, I know this is a crazy thing to say, but I'm going to say like, is Bill Belichick on the hot seat? Well, you know, I've said a number of times on this show when I, when I used to do the Patriots All Access show, I spent a lot of time down in the bowels of the stadium. Usually on Wednesdays, we we taped the show, and you know you'd, you'd see a lot of things, you'd see a lot of lot of lot of body language, and sometimes Bill and, and Robert would walk past each other. You know, Robert would park his car outside that auditorium there, and you know Bill would be like you know head down and just wouldn't even acknowledge his presence. And we think there was a gut feeling among people that were working down there that. Belichick is two seven and nine so when they play sixteen games, seven and nine seasons away from being on the hot seat. Well, we've just had basically two seven and nine seasons, and it, I think the seat is getting hot. Yes. What is the? I don't understand. Well, I guess I can. I can understand in a certain way why it's so important that Kraft is the owner when Belichick passes Shula, which 
assume it would happen eventually if he keeps coaching eventually three yeah, years be, at least right three, could be three years of three yeah. it would take three more you know eight and nines to get it done i mean you know <laughs> does he why is so important why can't belichick become uh a head coach of the of the rams and 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 catch you and you know what difference does it make it's 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 not really a, a record that can be com- like most records can't be compared to the past the present and the past were two different animals you know what both when Shula, you know what i'm saying it just seems like it's a false idol that they're chasing here and it really shouldn't matter to craft i know it can matter to belichick that's different that's first person personal what does Kraft care? Well, I think Kraft, you know, obviously, when you look at the organization and the success they've had, I don't know if you guys have read uh, the Jeff Benedict book, The Dynasty. Yes. But, you know, there is sort of this idea of like the, you know, the holy trinity, you know, and Kraft, Belichick, Brady. And I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The same way that I think Bill takes some pride and also some credit for the platform that he gave Tom Brady to become the greatest quarterback for all time. I think Robert Kraft takes some pride and some credit for hiring Bill Belichick and making that deal with Bill Parcells and the jets. When a lot of people were telling him, no, don't hire this guy. He failed in Cleveland. He's terrible with the media. So I think part of Kraft's legacy and Kraft very much wants to be in the hall of fame. I think part of his legacy is I hired and gave the platform to the greatest coach of all time when nobody else thought that was a good idea. And that's what makes me a genius. And that's why I'm ultimately important to this dynasty. It doesn't happen without me. So, Loby, I think Kraft's legacy is wrapped up in Belichick's legacy and this record. But, you know, the Hall of Fame is another uh, chasing a straw uh, trophy because Kraft deserves to get in anyway. I mean, I you know, let's face it. You know, you're going to make what? him work for it, make him sweat a little bit. I mean, he's not, he hasn't lived a perfect public life, but he deserves to get in. I mean, he, you know, Billy Sullivan, there'd be no pro football here in New England without Billy Sullivan. There would be no, you know, zing to it without Bill Parcells. And there'd be no, you know, championships without Robert Kraft and everything he's done with it. I mean, I, you got to give him credit not only for the stadium and for everything else he's done, but he really has done an amazing job. Uh, And he wants to be recognized for it. You know, he wants to be loved. He doesn't want to be loved, just be loved. He wants to be loved a lot more than, you know, that's just the way it is. You know, we've all come to recognize, recognize that. I don't know. It's, it's a fascinating, and it's, you know, it's a fascinating time in our, in our sports history, not to mention the three games that the teams won on the road yesterday. <laughs> yes. You know, what yes. Shaughnessy said, third, third time it's ever happened. I can't remember the other two. Were we enough? Were we working, Mike, when that happened? <laughs> I think so. I, yeah, thought, I, think I thought it happened once, but I can't remember when. We were like the Flintstones. We had, we had tablets that we, that we uh... <laughs> <laughs> but at least I'll say I'll, I'll say this, you know, when you guys were doing it and it's, you know, probably maybe it was a double edged sword, but at least you had the time to fill. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, when I was doing it uh, uh, for the little bit of time I did it, I felt like I, I took a breath and the sports cast was over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was quite unfair, actually. Yeah. You know, you know when we st- when I started and uh, I Bob was there before I was long before I was. Don't stop it. The um, we had nine minutes. Wow! And, and we took a break in the middle of the sportscast and came back with more. And it was and it was staggered, you know. So you could actually watch all three of us. Remember that, Bob? Um, you know, I'd be sitting there watching them, and I'd say, you know, "Go back in the office and say, okay, what did he have?" <laughs> but now it's uh, you know tonight. That was that kind of you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was I think I think it was uh, two fifteen when when I the brief time period that will I feel like my time at Channel Five will be remembered uh, and you guys can relate <laughs> to this sort of like you know Bob Ryan's brief uh, daily yes. television. Yeah, oh that's right. Channel Five overnight, all night, right? Wasn't he? And that was Matt Siegel at the all that night. Was Matt- 
Siegel. No, no. But Bob was uh, in during the Bob worked, I think, 365 days. I think the, the his last day was the day of the Boston Marathon. And he did a live shot out in the Hoffington Common. And I think he was talking right up until they fired the gun. And I think he just basically dropped the microphone. <laughs> and I think he went to the garden that night. And I think I could be wrong, but I think he wrote a column for the Globe that particular night. I, I could be wrong, but I, I know that he was he was itching to get back. And I'm sure you probably have had conversations with him. He just felt like if you missed his piece on the early news at six o'clock, we never saw it again. However, if you walk into any bus station, barbershop, there's always a newspaper lying on the table and you can pick it up. You know, it's six six twenty six at night, eleven twenty six, seven fifty six. You can read Bob Ryan's column, and that bothered him a little. So, I I I'd love to work with him, but you know, he he is back like you. You're both back doing what you were born to be doing, right? I, that's how that's how I feel. I mean, it was a great experience, and yeah, Bob and I have talked about it. You know, certainly he was very very helpful. And instrumental in me and giving me some some tips but you know the, the comparison that i've used for it is even if you can write right and, and the type of writing that you know and i'm certainly not on bob's level i mean he's you know one of the all-time greats in terms of being a columnist but you know if you're a columnist at a major metropolitan paper and you're doing that and then you go to writing for tv it's like the difference between you know knowing english and speaking italian you're still using the <laughs> roman alphabet still a b c d e f g but the way you're aligning it and what it is, it's a completely different language. And so it, it really takes some skill. And just because you're good at one doesn't mean that that will necessarily translate to the other. And it is, you know, for me, a big part of the challenge was, wow, I went from having like a thousand words to make this point to maybe 45 seconds to make the yeah. same point. Uh, it's, 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 it's not fair. Yeah, no. right. It's, it's just not fair to these guys. It really isn't. I mean, and I will say this before you get into the hamburgers and the meatballs, Mike, and I know you <laughs> that. I really do think, Chris, that uh, you've really crossed the line. You've really come into your own with, with the transition back to the Globe and doing the stuff that you I really think you've stepped. I, it's hard to explain without embarrassing you. Uh, no, but, no, no. I, I, I feel the same. I think I had a new appreciation for it when I returned, to be I honest. Your, and a new energy. A much more aggressive approach, and for lack of a better, you know, and it comes through. And that's just the same thing with Ryan. Ryan was a man of passion. He always was. He always, he always brought it. And uh, times he couldn't help himself. But but, but you know, I, I think you're. I think you're. Great. I think you're there. I, well, think. I appreciate that. Yeah. You, you guys are making me brush. Felger had you there because Felger doesn't know anything about football and uh, <laughs> neither does Mass. Well, Felger knows about hockey. Mass is baseball. So, you know. Hey, he's my old intern. He's, he's something to it. What? Mass, my old intern. Go easy on now. <laughs> yeah. Love Carl Ravitch, too, right? Right, Lynchy? What's that? Carl Ravitch, right? Carl Ravitch. Uh, yeah. Matt Smith. Um, Paul Lucy, uh, Jason Wolf. Um, yeah, we, we had like uh, like that quarterback class in 83. We had a, <laughs> a bunch of guys that, that were just pretty good. And I just sort of sat back every night and did, and did this, did this while, you know, all those guys did all the work. I said, these guys are ready to go to work right now. So, Bob, uh, did, you, did you have any interns that we would know? Any females? Yeah, females. females. <laughs> Don't get me in trouble. <laughs> Well, of course you know, not. Chris. Chris let, let, let me ask Chris. Uh, my, uh, my dad was a BU guy like you, a Lynn guy like you, and um, he was uh, one thing that always impressed my father more than anything else was uh, you, a person's vocabulary. He always had a, there was a Webster's dictionary and a thesaurus always next in the room where he uh, watched TV and did his crossword puzzles. And all the time he'd say, he says that Gasper. I'll tell you what. He's the only guy that makes me reach for the dictionary and reach for the thesaurus. He says, sometimes I, he's using words I hadn't heard before. And I read it up. I said, that's absolutely the right word. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Yeah, I mean, so my, you know, my mom uh, was an English teacher. And so she had a real passion for words and just always kind of had a passion for words. And, and honestly, for me, like 
you know, I don't really think like a lot of people think I'm like trying and it's, these are just words that pop into my head that I know are the right word. And a lot of it, I'll tell you, came from growing up reading Sports Illustrated. I used to read Sports Illustrated all the time as a kid and they always use tons of words. I mean, if I was reading Frank DeFord, I needed the dictionary next yeah. to me, but I always thought it was pretty, I thought it was pretty cool. I'll say another person I grew up reading too, you know, Charlie Pierce, when he would write an Esquire and the other stuff he would do, uh, people always will ask me, you know, who do you read who stumps you? And it's Charlie Pierce. You know, if I read Charlie, I have to go to the dictionary or I have to look up the words. Some people actually get mad about it, but my whole thing is this, um, you know, I hope I'm helping to educate you a little bit. And also never in the history of humankind has it been easier to look up a word. A lot of times if you're on your phone and you're reading and you don't know the word, if you press your thumb on the word, it says, look up and it will look it up and you don't have to leave the article and it tells you what it is. So <laughs> I think it's never been easy and easier in human history to look up those words. So, yeah, I mean, it's just something that I think probably developed from, I thought it was pretty normal, you know, honestly, from me growing up reading Sports Illustrated uh, and reading people like Frank DeFord and, and Rick Riley, and obviously Charlie was in there. And uh, there's another name that's uh, escaping me. Um, who's a great writer, uh, Smith. Um, I can't remember his Red? name. Red? Yeah, not Red. He's a great writer too. But, but so many of those great Sports Illustrated writers, yeah. I just felt like, well, that's the way you write about sports. And even Bob, you know, Bob Ryan, a lot of times I'd read Bob and Jackie and Michael Holly and have to look up. You know, I, I learned the, the Sisphian is a word I, I learned reading Michael Holly. So, you know, rock up the hill. Yes, yes. Only for it to roll back down. I guess that's, that's kind of what doing a sports reporter. That's what being a sports anchor is. Sisphian. He didn't have to go to a prep school to come up with that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Sisyphus, yes. Hey, hold on one second here. We're going to uh, tell you about our best foods. The next time you're in the grocery store and you're going shopping, don't forget to go into the frozen food section and look for a bag of our meatballs. And right now it's almost hot dogs. I'm a hamburger season as well. Look for the smiling chef in the bag and you'll find great tasting meatballs. The hamburger. There it is. Meatballs or hamburgers. For your next hot dinner or snack. Remember, like our best meatballs come in a resealable bag to make it easy for you to store away before your next meal. So Bob, Bob even had his bag of meatballs upside down, but the bag was resealable so they didn't fall out. Don't forget to download the money-saving coupon available online at ourbestfoods.com. And Bob, show Chris the smiling chef. There he is. We, right call, him, we call him Pablo, Pablo Bell. Ask. No, I'm not going to tell a story. You got you got to tell the story. So, oh, so, so spring training, spring training was in Winter Haven, Chris. Okay. And, you know, every uh, we all went down with, with a cameraman, a producer, and a satellite truck driver. So we had four people. Channel Four always had like twelve people. Uh, and but anyway, they checked in, and everybody in the crew, eleven people, had room, except there was no room for Bob Lobel. He kept saying, you don't have a room for me? And he kept going back and back and back. And finally, about five minutes to six, he went in. And he said, take it from there, Buck. Go ahead. Well, they had a room for Pablo Bell. <laughs> <laughs> take it. They had a reservation for a Pablo Bell. <laughs> okay. Once again, we're telling the story. Oh, anyway, man. Chris, sorry to have been... All right. They're... NFL, nobody does it better than the NFL when it comes to releasing their schedule, when it comes to releasing their draft order, when it comes to everything they do. The NFL leads the world in promotion. And here we go. The NFL draft is a whole, a whole game unto itself. And uh, it's just it's, uh, everything I read, I don't know, is it a great class this year? Everybody says it's not a great class. But how do you know? I mean, how do you really know? You know, it's a very complicated part of the sport that I could care less about. It, it is interesting because it's it's even the people who do it for a living get it wrong so often, right? I mean, can you think of another profession where the people who do it for a living and work so hard at and are the experts get it wrong as often as they do? And that's not a commentary on them. It's just the reality of it. It's, it's a crapshoot. Yeah, we miss uh, Will McDonough because he, he'd get, you know, 30 for 30 or 28 for 28, you know, with expanded to 32 teams. Oh, yeah. And he got it dead right. You'd look the next day and you'd have a check box going on your, on your paper and you said, Willie nailed it again. 
Um, yeah, he was great. And he, he would get all the picks that the teams would make right. But obviously yeah. the teams wouldn't get all their picks right because a lot of these guys wouldn't be able to play. I mean, to go back to Lobie's question, you know, I do think when you talk to scouts and people, they're maybe a little down on this class. You know, they, they don't look there. There's, there's 31 first-round picks this year because Miami was penalized and lost theirs. There's not 31 players who have first-round grades. So there are going to be some players taken in the first round that it's the in the eye of the beholder, right? And there's an element of that. In the draft, I think that certain positions like wide receiver, very much eye of the beholder. A lot of people really like Zay Flowers out of BC, but other people feel like, well, he's he's explosive, but he's smaller. You know, he's small and he's kind of a slot guy. Jackson Smith and Jigba out of Ohio State is a guy that's probably the consensus number one, but a lot of people look at him and, and say he's, you know, he's a slot guy primarily. So that position's a little bit lower. And then the quarterbacks are also eye of the beholder. Bryce Young was fantastic at Alabama. I had the opportunity to see him live last fall against Ole Miss when I went down to Oxford. I mean, he, he reminds me a little bit of sort of like the Steph Curry of, of football, the way that he just is able to distribute the football and the plays that he makes. But he's very small, you know, historically small in terms of his, his size and his, 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 his weight, his height. So do you entrust that that guy can be durable in the NFL? Uh, so this is going to be a really interesting first round of this draft. And I think we could see some surprising picks where some team falls in love with a guy that another team maybe doesn't even have a first round grade on or falls in love with a guy they take in the top 10 that another team wouldn't even dream of taking in the top 10. I always think about what Bill Belichick has said about the draft and, and these draft picks and when they get traded. When a team makes a trade in the draft, particularly when they're coming up, they're not coming up for that pick. They're, they're not saying we really want pick number nine. They really want a player. There's a player that they like. Teams make trades for players, not picks. And I think I think you could see a lot of action on Thursday night where teams are targeting specific players where another team is like, really, you'll give us that to move up to draft this guy? Great, we'll take it because we don't think that guy is worth drafting in that spot. I think I was working with you a couple of years ago on the draft uh, on Channel 5 when they, they drafted Kyle Duggar. Remember that? Yes. And we, and we, we all went, ooh, you know, yeah. a Division two player, right? Division I think was it's it Div- Division Two. Yeah, it is Division Two. Yeah. yeah, Malcolm Butler was Division Three. He's Division Two. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, that one. I just went and then you know, but you have to, you have to trust Bill. Now he's had some, he's had some misses, but you just have to trust him. Even yeah, I think he, the thing he's earned our trust. Even when his dog is sitting there, when it comes to Nike, the <laughs> in Nike we trust. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, it's, it's interesting you say that though, I think guys, because I think maybe that trust level, at least from the owner is a little bit lower. Yes. And he's mentioned the last couple of years about being better in the draft and doing a better job in the draft. I think there was a little bit there where they felt like they were not doing as good a job as they had done in the past in the draft. And it's become maybe a little bit more collaborative, a little bit more of a consensus. That was the word Matt grow director of player personnel used, And this year he gave, the pre-draft address to the media. You build into it. Matt Groh did it. So, you know, I, I think that, yeah, you do have to trust Bill, but I think there's more people involved in the past. I also think this, that they're picking at 14, and I would feel really good if they stayed, stayed at 14 or moved up a little bit because with Bill, if you look at his history, the higher he picks, you know, normally his hit rate is pretty good. Richard Seymour, Gerard Mayo, uh, Nate Solder, you know, those are all guys that are sort of in the top 15, 16. Sometimes it's when he trades back. Sometimes he gets a Logan Mankins, which is great. Mankins was a great player. But then other times he gets a, a, a Dominique Easley or a Malcolm Brown by doing that. You know, you mentioned Logan Mankins, and I'm, I'm just going to go off, off the street here a little bit. Patriots Hall of Fame. Oh, my God. Three, three finals. Logan Mankins, Mike Brabel, Bill Parcells. Does Parcells ever get in? He should. By the fan vote, not let's let's forget about the, the owner putting him in, like okay. Starnecchia. Let's go by the fan vote. Only one gets in every year. Will he ever get in? So, you know, <laughs> I hate to go down the conspiracy theorist route, but I, I will sort of do that. Um, I do know that the fans still resent him for leaving after the Super Bowl in '96. But I also find it hard to believe at this point that there's not enough fans that look back. I mean, Loby said it. You know, the franchise is not relevant. Uh, without Bill Parcells, there is no dynasty without Bill Parcells. Who who brought who brought Bill Belichick to New England to meet Robert Kraft? It was Bill Parcells. So for me, I feel like sometimes the 
fan vote, I'm using air quotes, is a little bit like when they have the vote for the captains of the Patriots and Bill says, oh, the players voted for this guy. I think there's a little bit of a veto override that might exist there at the end of the day. I have a hard time believing that at this point the fans are still, you know, that unwilling to recognize Parcells to put him in. You know, I, I asked him to come on this show. Uh, today. Sorry, uh, Parcells might have, might have nudged you out, Chris. You might have had to go next. Hey, that's totally fine. It's like the time Steve Buckley and I were supposed to have dinner at spring training with the Red Sox, and suddenly Larry Lucchino told him he could make dinner, so he nudged me right out. So it wouldn't be the <laughs> first time, and it won't be the last time. <laughs> um, but yeah, he said, thanks, I appreciate it, but uh, I'm, I'm staying under the radar. Uh, and he knew we'd, he'd be getting into it. We'd be, that's all we'd be talking about probably was the Patriots Hall of Fame and, and other things he was probably uncomfortable talking about. So, um, But, you know, how is the guy in the NFL or the Pro Football Hall of Fame and not in the Patriots Hall of Fame? That's the question. It's a great question. I, I, I think he should be in. And in all seriousness, um, I, I really, really hope that Bill Parcells is recognized by the Patriots organization, the Patriots fans, with this honor before it's too late. You know, I want, I don't want to see this happen uh, posthumously. I want to, I want to see him be able to soak in that adulation down there. And it would be a real shame if people wait too long to recognize him. And this happens, you know, after he's uh, passed, that would be enormously disappointing. I think for me, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I feel that, you know, I feel that would really be unjust to be honest. Well, there's also Fairbanks too. We can make that case about Chuck Fairbanks. But it really would be a wonderful gesture on Robert's part if he just said, I'm going to pull Skarnickia with Parcells and say, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry, fans. This is, he was a special guy for our... I, don't, I just wonder if he could put aside the animus that he has for the way it all went down. We'll never forget the shot with those guys who... New Orleans, the money shot, but Parcells and Kraft walked down the stairs together in New Orleans. And I said, I was with Al Miller. There's the money shot right there. Cole <laughs> McDonough, it was, a, you know, it was a nightmare that that year. It was, it was crazy, but it, it, of course he deserves to be in. So we never, we haven't talked about Mac Jones yet, but it's amazing we can go this far and not talk about him because. <laughs> He always has like been the center of attention for the last five weeks, if, if nothing else. But you know, it's will he be here? Will he be gone? What difference will Bill O'Brien make? Why doesn't Bill O'Brien sing his praises more? Why, you know, why why isn't there more? Maybe you can sort it out, Chris, because we've done we've had this conversation over and over again, and I don't think we're any closer to the truth. Yeah, I, I don't. I wish I could sort it out too. I, I don't think I can. You know, I can give you sort of a couple of my takes on it. You know, yeah, I think yeah, that's, that, that'd be good. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things. You know, when you look at this situation, and, and it sort of goes back to what you guys just talked about, with obviously a clear difference of a, a agreement between Robert Kraft and a coach at the time. It was Bill Parcells. You know, now I think it's Bill Belichick. I think Robert Kraft looks at Mac Jones and says, "This is our franchise quarterback." He. he he went on Fox business and talked about how much he believed in Mac Jones and his future. Meanwhile, you have Bill who is not even willing to say his name. And I think there's some resentment on Bill's part at the way Mac Jones handled things last year with Matt Patricia and Joe judge. I think there's an element there of given how close Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick are, you know, the houses in Nantucket and all that. I always say Matt is kind of like the third Belichick son and Matt, ended up being the fall guy really for the offense. And a lot of that was because it didn't work with Matt, Mac Jones. I think that there's some resentment, you know, there on the part of bill. I think there's also a legitimate, very legitimate questioning of Mac Jones's ceiling by bill Belichick, the coach who's been in the NFL for 40 plus years, which is that's legitimate. I think he looks at him and says, I don't know if this is the quarterback who's good enough to get us back to contention. And I don't know if he's that much better than Bailey Zappi, who I know will follow orders and follow directions that it's worth putting up with some of the histrionics and that stuff on the sideline. I, I would disagree. I think Mac Jones is clearly better than Bailey Zappi, but I don't have six Super Bowl rings. It's really eight. If you count the ones with the giants. So 
you know, look, Bill's well within his rights to to feel that way. The one thing I will say, though, is I think that, you know, they're creating a situation here that's a little Bill always says they don't want distractions by not saying Mac Jones's name, by being at the owners meetings and not declaring him your quarterback. Uh, you are fueling the fire of a quarterback controversy and you are creating a distraction. And I think that that is problematic at the end of the day. I think even if you're frustrated with Mac Jones and what happened last year, your job as a coach at its core is to put the player in the best position to succeed and be successful. That didn't happen last year with Judge and Patricia. I think we all need to acknowledge that, including Bill. And I think don't start off this year on a foot where you're putting him in a position where maybe there's some doubt about him or some questions he has to answer or a controversy swirling around him, just let him do his thing. And if you're not going to do that, then you might as well just cut ties with him now and move on. Well, Chris, why did he pull Zappi in the third game and create that harangue in Foxborough when they're chanting Zappi? In the, and talk about distractions. Talk about a quarterback distractions of your own making. None was greater than that. It, it, it's a very good point, Bob. There's no question about it. I mean, maybe they thought at that point they could sort of catch lightning in a bottle and it was worth it to do that. I think clearly in hindsight, it was not. And, and it, I think that that affected Mac Jones confidence, not just being pulled, but the fans. And it happened multiple times that you, there were other times they chanted. Really Zappy's I mean, the fan base, I, I guess you can't criticize the fan base because they have their own mentality when they're yes. together. You know, the IQ drops about 50 points when you're in a crowd like that. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, we, we all we all are suspect, you know, susceptible to that. If we're at the Garden tonight with the Celtics, we'd all be susceptible if we're there as fans. Yeah, my yeah. IQ definitely dropped fifty points when I was on camera. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say on camera. I want to ask one thing about your father and what he would have thought as a coach of of the quarterback and Mac Jones. What would your father have? T what would his take be on on the way Mac Jones acted on the field? Me? Because yeah, yeah, you the one with the father is the coach. I yeah, know exactly. what coach in high school would have thought about it. And it, uh, it probably would have lasted, uh, you know, one uh, one trip to the sidelines. It, it would it would have ended and never never be repeated again. I remember one time when we we were playing Gloucester and we had four touchdowns called back, and I took my helmet off and threw it on the ground. It was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. And uh, my father was upstairs, and uh, he was on the, uh, on the roof of the press box. But at halftime, boy, did I get it. And, uh, and I deserved it. And I was petulant. I was just, you know, like, you know, well, why, why us? Why us? Another penalty. You know, who's holding? Who's offside? Da, 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 da. And, but this thing went on with Mac Jones all year long. I understand his frustration because I think, you know, crawling inside his head, he knows more offense than Matt Patricia does. He has a better idea how to get the ball into the end zone than Matt Patricia does. Yet he has to do what Matt Patricia tells him to do in his headset. And, you know, every pass play was, you know, he throw the ball 40 yards for a four-yard game. he throw the ball 30 yards for a two-yard game. The first game that I saw him unleashed right out of the gate was Thanksgiving night against Minnesota. I said, wow. I said, uh, boy, this is, now, this is what the kid can do when you give him a little bit of uh, slack here, but that didn't last that long. And that's what I'm hoping to see with Bill O'Brien. And I'm expecting to see with Bill O'Brien. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I would hope so. And I think you raise a great point, Lynchy, about the, the, sort of the, maybe the knowledge gap or the information gap that existed there. And that's where it gets for me, you know, tricky. And you're right. You know, you don't want to have that level of puerile, petulant behavior, but when you feel like you're maybe being undermined by your coach, doesn't really know and remember there were times this year you could see mac motioning to the sideline like this yeah like, i need the call i need the call you know how many times this year this was very unpatriot like but how many pre-snap penalties did they have on offense this year a lot which to me speaks to that speaks to coaching and organization yeah. and so if you're a quarterback and you feel like you don't even have a chance before the ball is snapped boy is that frustrating yep absolutely could not agree more Hey, I got to tell you something right now. We got a big, uh, it's time for the Cold Springs RV Campers kickoff event. You can celebrate camping with huge discounts on new and used RVs on April 29th and April 30th. 
Go see. What dates are those, Bob? Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> April 29th and April 30th. It's down. <laughs> Go see the fantastic selection of travel trailers, fifth wheels, mobile homes, pop-ups, and park models. At Cold Springs RV, the doors are always open on every unit so you can freely browse around. Stop in to register to win free tickets to some of the summer's biggest concerts. That's Cold Springs RV, April 29th and April what, Buck? 30th. 30th, you got it. Where to Hampshire? Uh, on, online at coldspringsrv.com. Now, we've, we've been having this. Uh, they're, they're building a, a low. They used to have a Madden Cruiser for John Madden, Chris. Yes. They're, they're building a Lobby Cruiser. Yep. Nice. And we're going to invite all of our guests along. And you can uh, ride cross-country with one person, um, past or present, coach Ooh. or player, can ride shotgun with you. And... So who would you pick as your riding partner on the on the Loby Cruiser built by ColdSpringsRV.com? Okay, and, and it's a sports figure, right? Yeah, yeah. No, okay. It doesn't necessarily have to be a sports figure. I mean, I wouldn't pick a sports figure, but that's a – Okay, yeah. I, I will pick someone who I think is both a sports figure uh, and a civil rights figure. And, and before my time, I would like to ride cross-country with Bill Russell to, to, just to get his thoughts on – not only winning and team building, but also on some of the social uh, issues in America and, and what he saw during his lifetime and his thoughts on that. And really being ahead of his time as an outspoken athlete. You know, a lot of athletes, I think, today are more outspoken when it comes to using their platform to talk about uh, social justice or politics or all that stuff. But he was doing it at a time when that really was frowned upon. So I think that right. would be my choice. It's a good one. It's really good. That's a very good one. I'll never forget the, the Cleveland Summit um, when those all those guys got together right there. And I and I was, you know, you know, a white guy. I was probably 14, 14 years old. I was oh, very impressionable. Wow. I was, you know, tugged in all sorts of different there's a war was going on, um, civil rights movement was going on, and it was a very confusing time, um, you know, when you're that age. And you know, you look back now, and I remember Tommy Smith and John Carlos, you know. And they were 1,000% correct in what they did and how they did it. But at the time, I was, I've never seen anything like that. And, you know, they gave up their position on the Olympic team. They both were terminated from the Olympic team because they took their shoes off and put the black fist up in the air. And I interviewed yeah. one of them at the Northeastern Center. What about what, riding cross-country with Muhammad Ali? That would be amazing as well. No question. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be incredible. Yeah, a lot Anybody of them, have to I mean, come back a couple trips. <laughs> giving, giving, I mean, you know, giving up the heavyweight championship of the world at that yeah. point to four years. Stand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, four years. I never forget the quotes he said, I'm a bad man. <laughs> <laughs> favorite quotes of all times. I'm a bad man. But you, you guys would have a greater appreciation for it, obviously, than, than, than I do because I wasn't around back then. But it's interesting, you know, you're talking about that stuff that happened, you know, back then. And at the time, you know, we look at Muhammad Ali now as a hero, but he was really vilified oh at the oh. time for the stance that he took. And so I wonder, I wonder this, if some years from now, it will be the same for Colin Kaepernick. If people will look back and say, oh, you know what? He was doing the right thing or he was trying to bring attention to this and he gave up his career for this. Uh, you know, will, will some of the vitriol there sort of subside Yep. maybe the same way it did with Muhammad Ali over the years. And when you look back and said, okay, now I understand, you know, what he was trying to bring attention to or, or what his point was. So let me ask you, I gave you a choice now. You're riding cross country, Parcells or Belichick? Who gets to ride shotgun? Oh, man, that is tough. Um, man, I think, I think I'm just going to go Bill only because as long as I've covered him – there's there's still no, wait, wait, which bill oh sorry belichick sorry sorry Loby. i'll go belichick belichick really? I'll go little, little bill as they say i'll go little bill because as long as i've covered him there's still an element of mystery there and also the one thing i do know um is that he has a very good very dry sense of humor <laughs> yeah. and i feel like that would be a lot of fun and needed on on a, a trip that's a really tough thing but i would and i also feel like i'd be interested to just talk other things with bill belichick you know like um like economics you know wesleyan that's his degree is in economics 
How does he see that? What's his viewpoint on that? Uh, I know he's really into military history, which I also enjoy. So there's a lot of things, even besides football, I think I would like to talk to Belichick. Assuming he would talk to me on that cross. It could be a lot of silence. Who knows? <laughs> Don't you think he plays you guys in the press conferences? I mean, he really plays you guys. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. You know, I've always said I think it's sort of a persona that he's put on. And for me, this is just my opinion. I think Bill, like a lot of very successful people in their field, and you could say uh, say this about people who are successful, right, in in investing, in in business, in other things. He's a control freak, and so what is one thing in that building he really can't control? It's the media. So he tries to implement his own measure of control which is not giving answers, you know, maybe giving answers only to specific reporters after the press conference instead of in the press conference. I think that's his way of exerting control. And I think he finds comfort in that control because, again, I think like a lot of great football coaches, you guys have known them, uh, and also like a lot of very successful people. I mean, I'm sure you guys have read the books on Steve Jobs. I mean, a lot of very successful people are out-and-out control freaks. I'll never forget the Super Bowl in uh, Phoenix Giants. Uh, this was the one that the Tyree catch, but it was a press conference before the Super Bowl. And we were in this, you know, rather large room, and I, for some reason, felt I had to ask him a question. So I did raise my hand, and he said, "Oh, Bell, this ought to be good." And that. <laughs> I was into that. What supports Chris's uh, statement of a a dry sense of humor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he got me good. He said, well, this ought to be good. (laughs) He loves Um, Lynchy, though. I mean, if he if he trusts you and respects you and feels safe with you, um, he will give you some tremendous insight. And I know he's done that with Lynchy and some other reporters. And so, you know, if you can, I think, gain his trust to a degree, but he's not, he's just not going to give it to everyone. And there are other coaches that will, you know, Andy Reid will come out after the press conference or after the game, sorry, in the press conference and say, yeah, you know, Patrick Mahomes, uh, it's a grade three uh, high ankle sprain. We're looking at, you know, two weeks, whatever. Bill's not going to do that. He's just not going to do it. I I do think as media members, we still have to ask the question. But you do understand he's not going to give you that information and he might give it to somebody else off to the side. It's interesting. Parcells and Belichick and the way each of them handled the press. Both of them managed the press. Great both point. Controlled the press in their own way. Parcells, you know, they expect me to cook the dinner. I'm going to shop. I got to buy the groceries. He always had, you know, he'd have that little funny tinge to it. The quips. Yeah, equip. Belichick, not so much, but they they're a lot more similar than you really than you know, I think, than they let on. There's a lot of similarities to the way they both handle that stuff. Uh, but Bill did have the during Deflategate, he did have a great quip. He he said, I wouldn't say I'm the Mona Lisa Vito. <laughs> I know. I know. It was like amazing. And that was like, <laughs> I'm gonna throw this over your head. <laughs> I'm going to throw a high inside fastball and none of you guys are going to be able to duck away from it. I'll tell a, a quick story. And it's, you know, like a lot of stories, it doesn't resonate the same if you weren't there, but I remember early on covering the team. I was covering the team with uh, Albert Breer who now works for sports illustrated and has gone on to bigger and better things, certainly leaving me in the dust, but he's, you know, Bert and I are close friends. He was in my wedding and uh, early on we, we were covering the team. And it was like a Friday and Bill was usually more relaxed on Fridays, you know, Hayes in the barn. And you could usually sort of tell on Friday how he felt the week of preparation had gone. If he was chipper or willing to joke, that meant that he felt like they were in a pretty good spot. If, if he was still a little dour, that usually meant like he felt like they had some stuff they'd miss more work to do. But somebody asked him a question and he was in a good mood and it was about, hey, do you ever get tryout tapes? Do, do people ever send you tapes of, 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 of they want to play in the NFL? And he goes, oh, yeah, all the time. And he's like, we look at these tapes. It's some guy in a park catching passes from his girlfriend. He's like, you wouldn't <laughs> believe the stuff we get. And Bert Breer and I are literally crying sitting in the front <laughs> row listening to Bill talk. He's like, you wouldn't believe some of the stuff that we get. Guys catching passes from their girlfriend at the park. And 
<laughs> it was hysterical. I mean, one of my all-time favorite moments. And like I said, I mean, tears are streaming down our eyes. We're laughing so hard. So Bill has a great sense of humor. He really does when he wants to engage it. Oh, yeah. Are they going to be a better team after this week or not? They better be. I think they will be. They can address some of these areas. But as you guys know, you cover the NFL for a long time. You really have to have talent, especially now. The league has really shifted. You know, back when the Patriots were first being successful, I think it was more of a defensive league. And there were ways you could be physical, right? Go back to Super Bowl 36. What did they do to Marshall Falk? Willie McGinnis is bumping him, jamming him, grabbing him, harassing him on every play. You, you can't do that stuff anymore. So it's really sort of become offensively, at least, more like, a basketball it's the game's played in space and you have to have that talent and so they need to go out and get more talent I think on the offensive side of the ball I still think Bill and Steve Belichick whose son who's an excellent coach uh, probably doesn't get the credit he deserves because his last name is Belichick actually works against Steve he's a very good coach and Gerard Mayo who's also a very good coach they can still cook it up on the defensive side of the ball but offensively you know they need to let me give you guys a stat that to me spells everything that's been an issue uh, the last couple of years. Since Mac Jones came into the NFL with the Patriots, the team is 0-17, the Patriots, when the opponent scores 25 or more points. You just can't win in today's NFL. If you can't win games where the opponent scores 25 or more points, at least some of those games, you're not going to be a very successful team. So they need to go and get some more weapons for Mac Jones in this draft. And and I don't think this is going to happen. But you start to hear some stuff. Uh, Burt Breer has reported it. There was a report, and I know this is true, that they brought in uh, the kid Will Levis, the quarterback out of Kentucky, for one of the visits. And that was indeed a 30 visit, one of the 30 visits. Um, I, I checked on this. Levis does have some local roots. He was uh, he grew up a little bit in Newton, a little bit in North Attleboro, grew up in Connecticut. So there was a thought that maybe they just brought him in because it didn't count against the 30 because he was one of the local kids. That's not true. He counted against the 30. So if Will Levis were to fall to 14, don't think it's going to happen. But if he were to fall to 14, that would be interesting. Do they reset a quarterback and say, we need a higher end quarterback to be able to win some of these games we haven't won since Mac Jones showed up? I mean, like I said, not to be repetitive, but in today's NFL, if you can't win a game where the other team scores 25 points, you're not going to win in the playoffs and you're not going to win a Super Bowl. Okay. Quick question. I know we're running out of time. If they take, let's say Levis falls, what happens to Mac and Sappy? I think Zappy's still here. I think Mac would maybe get shopped to one of the teams who didn't end up with a quarterback that weekend. A team like, and I don't know if these teams would be interested. I'm just throwing teams out there that maybe would walk away from the draft without getting that front end quarterback. A team like Houston, right? There's a lot of talk that Houston, as high as they are, that they're not going to take a quarterback where they are in the draft, that they might go in a different direction. Would Nick Casario be interested in Mac Jones? The other part of what's down in Houston now is you have D'Amico Ryans uh, and the offensive coordinator. Um, I can't remember his name, but they were in San Francisco, and they were in San Francisco when San Francisco moved up and ended up taking Trey Lance in the Mac Jones draft. But really, Kyle Shanahan thought they were going to take Mac Jones. So maybe some of those San Francisco people in Houston would be interested in Mac. Tampa needs a quarterback. The Washington Commanders could use a quarterback. The Tennessee Titans, uh, they have Rand Carthon, who also came from San Francisco. He's their new general manager. Maybe they're a team, if they don't come away with a quarterback, that would look at Mac Jones. I think a lot of these teams that, I mean, I don't want to say they're not interested in Mac Jones now, but teams that maybe before called the Patriots on Mac Jones and the offer wasn't the greatest, if they get through the draft and don't get someone that they want, maybe their offer is a little bit better because they say, okay, someone has to play quarterback for us this year. And Mac Jones, you know, whatever he is, I think he's a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. But as a rookie, he did make the Pro Bowl, and he did take a team to the playoffs. Hey, if you're thinking about a, a new vehicle, go where we go. Go see our friend George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. We've been there Dozens of times. We have been customers for years because we know that George Gray will treat you right. They're family-owned and they're operated dealership that we trust, and you can trust them as well. So get on there and 409 Mass Ave in Lexington. See the great George Gray at Lexington Toyota. Best service available. One quick question. I keep saying that. That's okay. One year from now. One year from now. Will Kraft 
be the owner? Will Belichick be the coach? Will Jones be the quarterback? One year from now. I'm going to say in order, yes, yes, no. So I think Kraft is the owner, Belichick's the coach. I think they move in a different direction at quarterback. Wow. In a more high-end direction. Mikey. And, and, and will that happen at, at the end of the regular season or before we go to camp? I don't think it will happen before we go to camp, but I could see either Zappy being in there by the end of the year or, or something else sort of taking place at this point. I, I, you know, who knows, you know, maybe I don't think this is true, but maybe Zappy is the next Tom Brady or Kurt Warner, whatever it is. But I, I just feel like uh, the combination of maybe some of the limitations of Mac Jones, you know, the one thing that gets talked about, is last year what a bad situation Mac Jones was put in. And that's true. That's true. But you know what doesn't get talked about? What a great situation he got put in with Josh McDaniels as a rookie. I think Josh kind of protected him and kind of propped him up and made him look a little better than he really was as a rookie. And Josh has a history of that. He did it with Kyle Orton in Denver. He was able to do it with Matt Castle in 2008 when Brady went down. So I think there maybe is a little bit of a realization that Mac Jones might not be the long-term answer for the Patriots. And when you couple that with some of the, I guess, maybe personality conflict is the right way to put it, that they dealt with last year, it just makes it easier to move on at the end of the day. Let me ask this one quick question. Lamar Jackson, 100% zero chance of ever coming here, right? I wouldn't say 100% zero. My sense would be there's maybe like a 3% chance. I just don't think they want to go to that level of, of contract for a quarterback. It, it seems to me that they are very much invested in and like the model of the quarterback on the rookie, on the rookie contract because that allows you some other roster flexibility, and, and they like that model. It, it, it's interesting, though, because you know the market is the market, right? And you can't operate in a vacuum. Jalen Hurts just got $51 million a year. I like Jalen Hurts. He had a nice season. He took his team to the Super Bowl. That's not a quarterback I would pay $51 million a year. But if he's worth $51 million a year, then how can you say Lamar Jackson isn't? By the way, the Patriots have to play him next year. Hurts, right? Yeah. Yeah, another one. That's another, another one. one. You're right, You're right, Bob. That's another good quarterback. Another one. <laughs> That's another one. Add him to the list. Another one. All right. You did a great oh, Chris, job, Chris. It's been, been Thank awesome. you. Awesome, awesome. Job. Chris Gaston with the Globe has been our guest. He's our friend. He's our colleague. And uh, uh, love, uh, you know, going through the Globe and, and reading your stuff. And uh, and um, we're proud of you. North, North Shore guy. Yep. Yeah. And I, I do have to say, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, I'm making a, a foray back into television here. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Tell us about we're, that. Boston Globe. Doing, yeah, Boston Globe Today Sports. Yeah. It's slated to debut this Friday. You can see it on Nesson, Nesson 360, and bostonglobe.com, and it's going to feature all your favorite Boston Globe sports writers, and we're going to bring some of the discussions, a lot like the discussion the three of us had, some of the sort of organic discussions and uh, insight analysis, all that stuff that we talk about. We're going to bring that to the air. So I'm I'm very excited about that. So I, I, I tried to run away from TV, but it caught up to me. I'll be back on TV. <laughs> You're going to have Ryan on? You know, I would love to have Bob on. I, I hope he's able to make it. We've been testing some Zoom stuff, so that might make it a little easier okay. for, for Roe to come on. I would love to have him on. Um, but, yeah, we're going to have all the, the whole Globe staff on, or so I'm told. So it should be pretty good. I'm, I'm definitely excited about it. Uh, if I can do 10% of the job you gentlemen have done on television <laughs> on this show, it will be a, a huge, huge success. And, uh, Bob, I know you'll appreciate this having worked from – Work with Alan Miller, who's absolutely the best. I'm going to do my very best not to be a 40 regular on this show. <laughs> oh boy. Well, well great. You know, just keep a sense of humor. That's all I can ask. You know, keep them. Smiling. I'll try. I, I have. I have to say, I know we're getting near the end, but I, I really, I, I, I want to ask you guys because I really want to know. Uh, how did you do it for so long? The, the ad libbing, you know, just all that ad libbing off the top of your head and looking so comfortable. And when did you know you could do that? That, you know, did you always ad lib from the start of your career? Or was there a point where you got to a point where you said, I could just ad lib this? It took me two years to figure it to get comfortable. Yeah, it took me yeah. a couple of years. I, I used to have, yeah, uh, I scripted every word and I used to time it out like, okay, the, 
Larry, uh, the Larry Bird jump shot takes seven seconds. So I, I type something and and I read it, and it took eleven seconds. Oh, I had to take out four words there and make, to make it. So then I, I would just read and hope that that what I was talking about was syncing up with the video. And um, I used to watch after every newscast. I take the ear check and I sit down and I watch it, and I cringe and sometimes eh, it's not too bad. But I, I I agree with Bob. But maybe even a little more than two years. Uh, where I finally just threw the script away and, you know, I used to fold a piece of paper up the size of a credit card, stick okay. it in my back pocket. And... Less is more, Chris. Remember that. Less yeah. is more. It's television. It's not talk-a-vision. Oh, no, that's good, say, Bob. And the less you say and let the video, it's like, the, it's like the Bruins going up in the stands in the range in Madison Square Garden <laughs> with a fight with Milbury in his shoes. You kind of have to let the video do the talking. <laughs> that's Milbury with the shoes. That's all you have to say. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, because I, I don't know if people realize who've watched you guys for years, um, just how much of what you guys said was unscripted and off the top of your heads, which is incredible. I mean, I write stuff. You know, I'll change a sentence ten times before it lands in the globe. <laughs> you can't writer, do that on TV. No, no, the writer in you, the writer <laughs> in you, has to go, has to sit in the room and watch. Okay. Yeah. You have the writer in you. It's the reason you're there, but it doesn't be have to be the reason you're going to stay there. I'm just great advice. I'm just, I, 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 I really I, am in, in awe of you guys and how you were able to do uh, all that stuff on the top of your head and, and still to time, which is incredible. <laughs> I used the word. I, I used the word one time. I was just that's just ad libbing, and I used uh, irregardless, which is not a word. Yeah, but I just it just came out of my mouth, and it's live television. You can't bring it back, and you know there's no backspace and delete button. And I said, "Oh, I'm going to hear." It. As soon as the show was over, the phone rings. It's an English teacher from Belmont, and you know, say name was uh, Mrs. Gasper. I'm Mrs. Gasper. I know I misspoke. I'm sorry. It's, that's live TV, and I'll never forget. This, this was early. This was like the '80s, you know, and I'll never forget that. I, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I said, "That's not a word." Oh. But one thing I never, which I'm, I'm surprised, and I, I, you surprised Bob LaBelle that you never uttered a profane word on the air? Oh, yeah. I, 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 oh, yeah. you did? No, no, I'm surprised that I haven't. <laughs> I, I, yeah, and so am I. I I'm shocked. I'm, I'm much more prone to it now in the podcast because <laughs> you're freer. You just, you don't have a news director in the other room and you don't have a people in the booth. It's just the three of us. And it's, you know, you don't have the FCC worrying about it. But yeah, I'm, I, I could have went down in flames many yeah, times. Yeah, we, well, I could have too. Just, just, just completely exploded uh, by using, uh, you know, something that I might be, you know, before we're on the air, sitting, you know, talking, whoa, what a friggin' shot that was. People, my, friggin people in television swear more off television than most people. <laughs> you, you found that, Chris? I mean, I thought everybody in the newsroom, I mean, I never heard women swear as much as I've heard news reporters swear. In the, I thought it was kind of attractive, actually. But it was like... They I really was amazed how much people will not only swear, but how they'll be talking right up until the minute their mic is hot. Right, right. I was I was so nervous. Like, I would stop talking like 45 seconds before. But people are talking like right up to the minute their mic goes hot. You'd get, you'll get used to it. I just... In control. <laughs> In control. Oh, oh, Good man. job, Chris. Thank you. Well, this was All a right, real folks, thank, Thanks. Yep. Thank, uh, Chris Casper, the great Chris Casper, the great Casper uh, was our guest. And uh, come back and visit again sometime, Chris. All right. This was a real thrill. I've got to tell you, somewhere 12 year old tw uh, Chris Casper can't believe he was on a podcast with you two guys. So. Have a great week. I know it's not going to be easy, but have a great week. Thank you. Thank you. All I right. appreciate Bye, it. Bye, everybody. Unacred Boston is a presentation of Unacred Media, a Burke Advertising LLC company. For show information, visit unacredboston.com.